In the name of Jesus, we take authority over sickness. In the name of Jesus, we take authority over every spirit of rebellion and unbelief. In the name of Jesus, we take authority over every spirit of apostasy and false doctrine. In the name of Jesus, we take authority over every spirit of addiction, every spirit of bondage. Hallelujah. Say, well, I don't have any power over those things. Yes, but Jesus does. Yeah, but Jesus does. Hallelujah. My God. First Peter chapter 4. Thank you, worship team, musicians. You give so much to enable us to freely, with liberty, worship our God in spirit and truth. We're not tied to an instrument. They're willing to use that gift, that talent, that skill that God has given them and they've developed for the glory of God, and we appreciate it. First Peter 4, two verses of Scripture, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Beloved, you know what the Lord dealt with me about the other day? If I can paraphrase what I received from him, it was, I wish y'all just love one another like I love you. Every time you feel a little haughty, a little bold, a little pride, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not shared it, I'm nothing more. I added that, nothing more. But I'm a sounding brass and a tinkling. Not a bold brass, a tinkling. Just a tinkling sound. not speak as the authority on that, trust me. But I believe God wants us to work on it. God bless you, you may be seated. We're going to talk about something today that will absolutely resonate with every person in this room without exception. Uh, the reason is because we're going to talk about physical and emotional pain. We're going to talk about struggles and losses that each and every one of us experience. We're going to talk about trials and about tribulations. There is a difference between a trial and a tribulation. 
a trial is when your faith is put on trial and the jury will determine whether it is legitimate or not. It will be tried by a situation or circumstance. Tribulation is much different in the fact that it is like a tsunami, a storm, a wave that comes against you and you have to survive whether it's a trial or a tribulation. There are a lot of things that cause undue stress and anxiety in our lives, and I think that we are living in the age of stress and anxiety. One of the reasons that I, I used to be a news junkie, but one of the reasons I have had to uh, break myself of that is because uh, of the things that you hear now in the news. Of all of the things that are going on, it is so disturbing. It is so uh, heartbreaking. We are confronted daily just in the normal uh, scheme of things with disappointment and with grief and so on and so on. Thankfully, every trial that we experience, thankfully every tribulation does not lead us into the precipice of despair. However, there's pain and there is agony, there's heartache, and sometimes it is visceral. Sometimes it is overwhelming. Sometimes it seems to be more than we are going to be able to bear. And uh, the Bible says that he will not allow us to be tempted of that which we are able, but will, with that will make a way of escape. And I hear that quoted so many times by even prominent apostolic men of God, that God will not put on you more than you are able to bear. And it doesn't say that. It does not say that. Because there are saints of God that are crushed under pressure. There are children of God, men and women of faith, that cannot take another moment and and find, at least attempt to find, a means of release or escape from their depression or their situation or their despair. And so we're going to talk today about strange things. Uh, our hope is that by the time that you leave this place, that you will have a fresh perspective of life's inevitable and unavoidable distresses. The Greek word for strange, if you look it up, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it, so I'm not even going to try. starts with an X. That's, that's your first clue. Leave it alone. Uh, and, and you look, it's kind of a long, drawn-out thing, but what it basically means, if you boil it, settle it down, it means something that is out of place, something that does not belong here. And it's notable, and it's bothersome, and you cannot ignore it. It's a strange thing. I remember when we bought a recliner a number of years ago, a double recliner, and we had it delivered, and it was a month, an entire month, before Echo would even get near it, much less get on top of it. She'd sit off and look at it and run from it and everything else because it was out of place. It doesn't belong here. And you may know when something is out of place. Hopefully, through the Spirit of God, we will recognize some uh, trials are very subtle. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a moment. Sometimes it's, it's not as obvious as you may think that it will be. See, the devil comes uh, sometimes as a roaring lion, 
At other times, he comes as an angel of light. Sometimes your hair stands up in the back of your neck, and sometimes you don't even know that he is in the room. So I'm going to talk about some of these things and hopefully remove the veil of mystery that seems to occupy our minds much of the time when we're enveloped by circumstances that are out of our control. One of the reasons that I like driving when I'm with a group is because I am in control of the steering wheel, of the gas pedal, and of the brake pedal. I like being in control when I am in a vehicle moving 70 miles an hour down the highway. I'm sorry, that's just who I am. That's the way God made me. You pray for me. When we went to men's conference at times and rented a van and I did not drive, I purposely sat in the back so I couldn't see what was going on. Because <laughs> it was best for me and, and my nerves to not know what the driver was seeing and dealing with. First Peter chapter 5, familiar verses of Scripture, beginning in verse 8, says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. By the grace of God, we will read verse number 10 again a little bit later. But it should not surprise any of us that as followers of Jesus Christ, that we have a very powerful and worthy adversary that would like to destroy us given the opportunity. Armed with this insight that Peter left us, we're exhorted to both be sober, be awake, be aware, uh, and to resist the devil and to resist him not through your understanding, not through your human strength, but resist the devil in and through faith. Now, the admonition is accompanied by a promise. The promise is that the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while. We're going to talk about suffering today, but it's just a while. It's just for a short moment of time. Amen. The Bible says that it'll be worth it when we get there. It'll be worth it when we're standing on streets of gold. It'll be worth every mile we walked and every pain that we felt and everything we endured in our spirit and in our emotions after that we have suffered a while. He will make us perfect. He will establish us. He will strengthen us. And he will settle us. And he will secure us. On the other side of suffering, on the other side of the trial, on the other side of the tribulation, hopefully these words will bring us a semblance of consolation, a semblance of comfort, especially to those who are experiencing current trouble and strife and stress and anxiety and tension in your life. Everybody here is not in the valley. 
emotionally, spiritually. A lot, of, a lot of people are entering into, if you're not already there, an economic valley with everything that's going on as far as inflation goes. But if you are not in a valley, be mindful that there are those here today who are. Though there are those who here who are struggling. There are people here who feel overwhelmed. Don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Hallelujah. It's one thing to talk about God, what he can do in this building, but what can he do on Monday? I want you to know when you get up in the morning and the music team is not, is not singing you as you brush your teeth, and they're, not, and they're not worshiping God when you walk into the kitchen to make your morning coffee, Jesus will still be there. He'll still be with you. I had something happen this morning that's never happened to me in my life as many times as I have been privileged to feel the incredible and wonderful presence of God in prayer and worship and devotion and so on. But I, I, I was in prayer this morning, and, and I felt the bodily, not just a presence of God, but I felt him bodily standing on my right side, just standing there. And he reminded me that that's the way I did Paul when they were in the ship that was in the Eurachlodon. He said, I, the Lord stood with me tonight. I felt him standing there. Sometimes that's all you need to know, that he's standing there with you. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. First Peter 4, 15, 16, and verse 19, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. I mean, if you sin, you mess up, you foul up, you get you whatever you do, and you suffer for it, it, that's not a trial or tribulation. You just sinned, and you're reaping the repercussions of it. Don't go to God and say, God, I'm going through a trial. No, you're not going through a trial. You sin. Just repent and get gone with life. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to take this to heart. We're going to need to learn how to do that as we draw closer to the coming of the Lord. Verse 19, wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Some of you may find this somewhat disconcerting that it is the will of God that we suffer. It, it can be the will of God that we may be in the will of God. Jesus said, at a very critical hour of his life, not my will, but thy will be done. I don't want to go through anything. I don't want to pass through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't want to walk across blood-stained battlefields. I don't want to endure another moment of pain, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's God's will 
that we learn how to suffer. In our text in 1 Peter 4.13, Peter wrote, as believers, we ought to rejoice, to rejoice inasmuch as we are partakers of Christ's suffering. Come on, that's hard. That's hard business. That's hard to our hearts and to our mind. But it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18, in everything give thanks. We've quoted it a million times. In everything give thanks for what? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. When I was working on our project out behind our house, I was driving big spikes with a big, long, I don't know, 22-ounce hammer. I come down, setting a nail on my thumb, busted the net, blood spurt out. I can't, even, I can't even describe the pain that I felt. I did not thank God I hit my thumb. Because after I got done, oh, my God, I oh, oh, can't stop. When I, I did it again right on the same thumb. Boom. Yeah, you feel it, don't you? On the way to church, what was it, Thursday night, we saw a three-car accident. You don't thank God you were in an accident. And they had to call uh, an ambulance. Oh, thank God I got hurt. Thank God I broke five bones. And thank God I'm on my way to the ER. No, thank God I'm still alive. Thank God it could have been worse. Thank God that he kept his hand on me. The suggestion is not that believers rejoice and give thanks for the pain that we're experiencing in that moment, but in spite of the pain, in spite of the discomfort, we must remain thankful. There are going to be many days you will come to the house of God. Now, let me back up. That's, that's really not enough. There will be many days you will go to prayer. And all hell will be breaking loose in your life. But you thank God anyway. You give God thanks anyway. Because he's still on the throne. And he will bring you through. Luke placed this principle into perspective when he wrote about Peter and John. They, they I mean, a remarkable miracle. The lame man at the gate, beautiful, silver and gold, have I none. You know the story. So, you know, rise up and walk. And this man who'd been lame for ever rose up, walked, leaping, praising God, went into the temple, caused an uproar. They were arrested, and they were, they were uh, threatened, and they were beaten, and they were let go. And Luke, who wrote the story in the book of Acts, put this all into perspective for us. It says in Acts 5.41, and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. Oh, my gosh. I ain't never going to do that again. I ain't going back to the temple anymore. I'm going to pray for the sick. And, oh, my gosh. They walked out of the council. When they saw them walking out the door, leaping and dancing and praising God from the inside, of the temple, these guys are crazy. 
What? Why in the world would they rejoice? We just threaten them never to speak again in the name of Jesus. We beat them black and blue and then turn them loose. And we see them dancing down the stairs and dancing down the street. Why? It says they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I've heard years ago, I'm talking about 35 40 years ago, missionaries would come back from the foreign field and they would testify the greatest persecution against us was not from the government. It wasn't from the Islamic community. It wasn't from the Hindus. It wasn't from the Sikhs. It was from the Trinitarian Pentecostals who hates oneness. And yet, we should rejoice that if we feel shame People shame us for our faith that God would count us worthy to suffer like he did. How different they are from modern-day apostolics who are many times perplexed and confused, wondering why God is allowing this to happen. <clears throat> Peter and John were in a much worse situation than I have ever been in. And yet they rejoiced. You know what that does? It condemns me. It condemns me. It convicts me for the times that I felt rejected in God's presence when he wasn't the one that was rejecting me. It was the world. I'm trying to put some things in perspective for you so that we can be better after today's service. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Suffering is part of the human experience. We know the reason why. It doesn't change when you become a Christian. It doesn't stop. In fact, I've heard many people testify that their lives were perfectly great until they became a Christian and then all hell broke loose. When you become a Christian, it doesn't, the fact that the human race suffers does not change. You're still a part of the human race. And when you suffer as a Christian, you have a promise waiting for you on the other side of your trial. If you're going through something right now, now, I'm going to say to you it's important how you go through it, but perhaps maybe this is as much about that as it is anything else. I mean, I, you don't want to curse God and blame God and get in the mully grubs and walk through your trial with nothing but doubt and unbelief. And then on the other side, oh, I knew I was coming through. Oh, I knew, I knew it was all going to be all right. You know, God, you cannot fool God. You cannot fake your way through this. That old fake it or make it, not it's till you make it or whatever. It doesn't work with God. So James said in 1, 2, and 3, My brethren, count on all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Anybody here got more patience than you actually need? Anybody? No volunteers, no liars among us. I saw that. 
1 Peter 1, verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. Might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. God has entrusted us to valiantly and gallantly preach this gospel through the tempestuous years leading right up to the coming of the Lord. This will not be possible. Let me say it another way. It will be impossible if we allow the devil to constantly fill our minds and hearts with superfluous questions about why God is not shielding us from hardship and from suffering. If you were right with God, you wouldn't be going through this. Some of y'all have heard that, I know. If you were more faithful to God, you wouldn't be going through this. If God loved you, he wouldn't make you go through this. He's got a list of things like that a mile long. And apostolics, we just drink it up. We drink it in like Coca-Cola and Dr. Pepper. When the devil comes along, doesn't matter that the word contradicts what we're hearing in our spirit. We got to get over this business and realize that God loves us even though we're going through stuff. Proverbs 13 and 15, good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Now listen to me for a minute. We know that everybody, I don't care who they are, goes through stuff. I, I wonder sometimes what does a billionaire go through? I'd like to find out. But since I want to be saved, keep your money. Everybody goes through stuff. Everybody loses people that they love. But what eternal profit does an unbeliever get when they go through hardships and when they suffer the trials of life? What gain do they have? from the things that they endure and the pain that they endure. The Bible says that they gain nothing, absolutely nothing. But Romans 8, 28 says, we know that all things were together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. When I came into the church, I finally figured out I've got a reason for being here. I've got a purpose for being here. Before being baptized and receiving the Holy Ghost, I had no real reason for being on the earth. But after coming into the kingdom, God revealed now that I've got a divine plan for you. I've got a purpose for you. I've got a destiny for you. 
And so if you've been born again of water and of the Spirit, according to Acts 2.38, you're endowed with divine purpose. You have a kingdom purpose. And it's not just to hold down that chair that you're sitting in. Therefore, all things, all things, all things, all power, he said, is given unto me. The word all is encompassing, all things. What do all things include? It includes every trial that you go through. It includes every hardship that you endure. It includes every victory that you have, every defeat, every success. It includes every failure, and it includes every blessing. They are divinely combined. They're divinely consolidated. They're con divinely amalgamated into something that will produce fruit in God's purpose in your life. They work together. In chemistry, my mom and dad bought me a chemistry set one year for Christmas. Fortunately, there wasn't anything in there that would blow up the house. And I, I used that. can't say as a kid played with it, but I mixed everything I could put together and run every experiment. Same year they bought me a biology set. I dissected that frog that was in the formaldehyde and everything that was in there. I cut it up, dissected it, and put it under the microscope. Chemistry is a different ballgame. Chemistry is very interesting until you get into math. Chemistry is about math. It's all math, isn't it, brother? It's math. You got to know math to be a chemist. I can mix stuff together. I, my, my sister mixed uh, bleach and uh, ammonia together and found out the hard way. I'm going to clean this toilet. Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, uh -huh. You clean the toilet, right? you won't have a toilet left when you go back in there. <laughs> Be an empty hole in the ground, I mean. So chemistry is a unique thing. They, they take safe and stable substances, and they sometimes combine them with very unstable and volatile substances uh, in order to make powerful and even dangerous chemical agents. The volatile substance is called a catalyst. If you've ever used any kind of epoxy, they may call it a hardener, but it's actually a chemical uh, a compound. It's a chemical response that takes place between two substances, and the catalyst mixed together causes this substance to get hard and very durable. So God does the same thing with us. He does exactly this. He's the one that invented chemistry or created chemistry to begin with. And this is the underlying premise of Romans 8.28. He takes the safe and the stable things of our lives, the comfortable things of our lives, and he combines them with the unstable and the uncomfortable and the volatile and the painful and the frightening things of our lives. And what does he do with it? He produces powerful, powerful, strong, resilient saints of God. Before you mix it together, it won't do anything. It won't hold anything together. Has no strength, has no stability. But when he mixes it with all this other stuff, it's volatile. It's a catalyst. My God, it makes us strong. 
So all things, the ugly, the beautiful, they all work together for good. We are pacifists and peacemakers when it comes to men. But when it comes to the devil, when it comes to the powers of darkness, we are called, we're anointed, and we're appointed to tear his strongholds down. Paul understood I'm weak, but when God combines his strength with my weakness, devil, you better look out. The old song, On My Own. I, how's it goes? On my own, I'll fail every time, but greater is he that is in me. On your own, you can't push a pebble around, but with God on your side, you can move a mountain. When it comes to all branches of the United States Armed Forces, men can be trained, but soldiers must be forged. Soldiers, you can't train a soldier. You can train a man. But a soldier must be forged. Because men are trained in controlled environments. But soldiers are forged in the heat and in the chaos of war. Very few men die in training but many will never return from the bloody battlefields of war. Toward the end of his life and ministry, Paul made a rather interesting statement concerning everything that he accomplished and went through. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have thought about at least a dozen other things that Paul could have said other than that. I've had a lot of success. I've seen a lot of people filled with the Holy Ghost. I've seen a lot of miracles, a lot of things he could have said. But the limited space and under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he was moved to write, I have fought a good fight. It's been a battle. It's been a struggle. But I fought a good fight. He wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12, exhorting him to also fight the good fight of faith. He would later admonish him to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 2 and 3. And then in the very next verse, Paul wrote, no man, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. There's a difference between being a saint and a soldier. Sometimes you wear the robes of righteousness, at other times, saint of God, you better put on the whole armor of God because just a righteous robe is not enough. You're getting ready to go to war. You better gird yourself for battle because 
Tulsa. There's a struggle ahead for you. So what am I saying? I'm saying that your hardest trials will prepare you for your fiercest battles. Whether we like it or not, when we were born again, we were thrust into a war between God and Satan. Then you didn't, wasn't it wonderful when you were young and dumb and the Holy Ghost? You thought everybody in church was saved. When you're born again, you were thrust into this conflict, this long-standing war between good and evil, between light and darkness. Therefore, it's not possible to be a citizen in the kingdom of God and remain neutral in this conflict. I just want to be saved and go to heaven. I'm sorry. I can't make you that promise. I just want to stay out of everything and just go to heaven when my time comes. Unfortunately, there is this, this scripture in the Bible that will prevent that. Matthew 12, 30, out of the very mouth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Ladies and gentlemen, the church of the living God is not made up of a bunch of cream puffs. God did not build his church out of a bag full of marshmallows. He carved his church out of hardship. He carved his church out of suffering. He carved his church out of people that were willing to walk through hell in order to serve him and follow him. We're not a bunch of hand ringers. We're a bunch of hand clappers. Psalms 18, verse 32, It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. <clears throat> he maketh my feet like hinds feet, setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up. And thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me that my feet did not slip. I don't care how much of an introvert you are. You get a walk in the office tomorrow with your head held high. This is in your Bible just as like it's in mine. It's not written to extroverts. It's not written, amen, to people that are outgoing. It's written to every one of God's people. Verse belongs to you. So even though a soldier may have all the appropriate weapons, all the appropriate paraphernalia and accoutrements necessary for war, is not a true warrior until he or she has been seasoned on the battlefield. I've worked with people, my mind goes back years ago, mostly in the grocery business, but 
The same has been true throughout the years. I worked with people through the years that worked harder to get out of work. They just worked and done the job, but it would have been less strenuous. Than so just because we got armor don't mean you know how to use it. Just because you have a sword, you need to know how to use the sword. The sword is the word of God. You can't quote any scripture if you're never in the book. I'll just use the name on him. Look, that's good. That's all well and good. But, but you've got to understand some devils require a little bit more than just yelling the name of Jesus. You've got to bring some word against them. Jesus taught us that when he was driven into the wilderness. He could have said, look, I'm Jesus. Leave me alone. He said, i got to teach my people how to, how to do spiritual warfare. And I've been told by people in law enforcement, so I know a number of people. We have Brother Daniel here is in law enforcement. He's a federal marshal, so do not mess up. I've been told by a number of people I know in law enforcement that Shooting your weapon at a gun range is a lot different than shooting your weapon in a very chaotic and volatile situation. When the adrenaline has been released in your body on a, on a gun range, you're steady, still, relaxed. Some people are. Last time I took my gun to the gun range, now I shake so much uh, from my age. I even have a laser scope. I mean, even the wildlife was running from the hills. I mean, the laser was shooting into the trees and they're heading for high ground. <laughs> so I'm hoping if anybody ever breaks into my house at night that when they hear me put that first round in the chamber, they'll have enough sense to leave. <laughs> Either that or they're in a narrow hallway where nobody could possibly miss. So the question is, I raise is, how strong can a Christian be who has never been through anything? You know why the reason some of our people, maybe you're here today, you're afraid of the devil because you never, you never fought the devil face to face. You've never been up against devils face to face in the middle of the night when it was just you and God. I thought about David. I shouldn't go into this because I'm very now, but I thought about David. David goes out and kills Goliath. Everybody was afraid of giants. Goliath wasn't the only giant. There were other sons of Anak. There were the giants. Some were even taller than he was. Everybody was afraid of giants until David killed one. They go, they ain't that bad if a boy can do it. And so the giants began to fall. Go read it in the Word of God. After they found out that it could be done. It's just like I think the guy's name was, if I'm wrong, please forgive me. I think his name was Roger Bannister. Wasn't he the guy that broke the four-minute mile? It was impossible. Nobody could break. But once he broke the four-minute mile, everybody on track runs the mile in under four minutes now. Somebody's got to prove this can be done. 
I'm telling you, you take your stand against principalities and powers. I don't care who you are. But you need to do it on your own. You walk into work and there's spiritual oppression. You need to pray in the Holy Ghost before you go to work. You need to dominate and change the spiritual atmosphere where you work. Everybody was afraid until until David did it. And so I'm speaking to some people here, men and women of God who have been through some hard-fought battles. I'm not going to stand here and tell you've won every battle. You've always come through unscathed. I, I've always made up my mind. I'm, I'm a little guy compared to a bunch of other fellows out there, but I made up my mind when I was in, a young boy in school. You, you might get me in a scuffle and you might beat the living tar out of me, but you're not going to come out of this with nothing. You're going to bleed before I'm done with you. There's going to be blood coming from somewhere on you. They might carry me off the field. You might walk off, but you're not going to go without anything happening to you. And I made up my mind about the devil. You might beat me up once in a while, but you're going to know you've been in a scuffle. Trying to help somebody. And so Peter said, you should not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial. As if some strange thing happened to you, let me reverse that. We should think it's strange if nothing is happening. We should wonder, wait a minute, why am I not being attacked? Wait a minute, why am I not going through hell? Why is is there no trouble in my life? There might be one or two here that fits that description. I don't know. It's not all about war. Sometimes we're tested with easy stuff before we're tested with the hard stuff. Now, this is important. I know i got to hurry up because I'm keeping my reputation, but it's not my, it's not my intent. Uh, we're all familiar with the, the, the fire story, right? The furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Three went in, saw four in the flames. Three came out. There was not the smell of smoke or nothing on them. I mean, we, we love, I love preaching about Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego. You want to know why the fire did not consume them? Let me tell you what I think. It's my opinion. Because when they pushed the king's meat up in front of them, they said, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't eating it. It's a little thing. It's a little test. It's a little deal. You see, you may think the little stuff don't count. But because they said, ah, we're not eating the king's meat, God says, I'll keep you when you go through the fire. You better pay attention to the small stuff. Because when you pass the little test, you'll pass the big test. Praise God. I I view, I came into this recently, I view Job as the poster child for suffering in the Old Testament. And Paul as the poster child for suffering in the New Testament. We're not going to have time to talk about Paul, but you want to see what suffering was all about, go read about him. But speaking of Job, there's an anomaly of human suffering that's brought into focus through Job's story. And uh, as you well know, he suffered great loss. He was a wealthy man. And one day, he lost his entire wealth, everything. 
was taken. talking about running a race, but my nose is running. His story reveals this anomaly of human suffering because he lost absolutely everything. You know, I've often thought, not that he didn't deserve it, but Bernie Madoff went from high society to low society. And the contrast must have been devastating for him, though, yes, he did deserve everything that he got at the time. But even though this man suffered great loss, it was not in spite of the fact that he was a good man. It was because he was a good man. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Sometimes we think, well, we're going to suffer even though we're good people and decent people and godly people trying to do what's right. But Job didn't lose everything and suffer in spite of the fact that he was a good man. He lost everything because... He was a good man. I've decided, God, you and the devil start talking things over. Just leave me out of it. Hope my name doesn't even come up. But if it does, your grace is sufficient. Now, we're not going to attempt today to answer the age-old proverbial question that continues to plague mankind. Why do bad things happen to good people? They just do. They just do. The story of Job proposes more questions than it answers. The pain, the loss, the shame that he suffered and endured is, uh, in our minds, unimaginable. Of course, he was stricken with boils from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. After he lost everything and after his ten children were all killed, or they were killed when the house fell on them, and... Uh, We have all suffered losses at times, some great and some that we've rarely even noticed. But Job's story encapsulates the very thing that we struggle with in our own personal trials, in our own personal tribulations, and I'm, I'm going to tell you what it is. When we're in the midst of a fiery trial or some kind of a... Uh, Tribulation, a Euroclodon, a tsunami, when hell has opened its gates and breathing upon our lives and our family, when, when they're amidst of the fire and the furnace and we don't know what to do and we don't have the answers, we do know one thing. We know that God can interpose himself any time he pleases and end our suffering. Tell me that's not an issue for you. We cry out to God for help. Can't take any more God. Can't go another step. All the while knowing that he could intervene just like that. In a moment's notice. And end our suffering, our pain, and change our situation. And this is another thing that the devil torments us with. One of the things that I've always marveled at was Stephen. Stephen preaches the word of God. And while he's preaching to the people, they're battering him with stones. They're bouncing off his head, his forehead, and he's bleeding. 
and he knows he's getting ready to die. While he is preaching an anointed message to the lost of Israel. We're going to have to deal with this in the days to come. Because it's not going to make any sense. There's not going to be an answer when we cry out, why God? We're going to wonder, why doesn't God intervene when we know that he can? I believe if Luke would have expanded upon the book of Acts, we would have read that while the people prayed Peter out of jail, there were others they prayed for, that the doors never swung open. The gates remained closed. The shackles remained on their wrists and on their, on their ankles. Yay for Peter, but what about the other brothers and sisters that were incarcerated in those same dungeons that were never released in spite of the fact that God's people prayed and prayed with faith. My God, my God. It is a reality that we may face before we delight in hearing his shout and the sound of the trump of God. It is a reality that we may all have to deal with. So upon hearing about the loss of his entire fortune, the death of his children, what did Job do? Thank you for including the story of Job in our Bibles. He rent his mantle. He shaved his head. He fell down upon the ground. He didn't kneel down. He fell down upon the ground, and he worshiped. He wasn't nonchalant about it. He wasn't calloused about it. He wasn't cavalier about it. It tore his entire guts out, and yet he fell down upon the ground, and by the grace of God, he worshiped him. was in the deep throes of anguish and despair that Job was heard to say, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. What's this devil doing here? It will not respond to my rebuke or the authority of Jesus' name. God says, Paul, I sent him to you. Not like you weren't suffering already, but all the, the stripes on your back, you begin to get a little haughty about it. And, and all of the pain you went through, you begin to get a little prideful about the stuff that you suffered. So I'm going to fix that in you because I want you to be saved. So I'm going to give you a devil you cannot rebuke. I'm, I'm going to give you a devil that's not going to flee when you resist him. I'm going to give you a devil that's going to stay with you for the rest of your life. Paul said, I prayed three times. God, take him away from me. He never said, God, stop the beating. He never said, stop the stoning. He never prayed God would stop all of the, the things he dealt with. He said, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. But the one thing he did, he prayed, God, take this devil 
God says, I ain't taking it. My God. No, he slay me. Yet will I trust him. The loyalty, the commitment to God, let me say it another way. Our loyalty, our faithfulness, our commitment to God is not validated through his blessing. It's not validated during the good times. It's not validated when the sun is shining. It's validated during hard times, during times of struggle. One time you can barely get up, but you get up and stand anyway and say, Devil, I don't care what you're going to do. I will not quit. And God knows that all he does is bless us. How weak and pathetic we would quickly become. Praise God. Devils and demons and unclean spirits carry a certain mystique and aura. I think some converts are a little fascinated with it at first. They find out that it's nothing to play with. I was praying one late one night years ago probably 40 years ago. It's in the living room on my knees facing a chair. I was praying in the Holy Ghost. Man, I mean, I was ripping and snorting and I was wading through the things of God and crossing over dimensions of the Spirit. I was praying. Woo, woo. All of a sudden, the presence of God was vacuumed out of that room and I felt a wickedness like I had never felt. I stopped and I raced up. I was rebuking devils and I was putting demons to fly and I did all that business. And I raised up and God said, don't play with this. It's not to play with. God restored his glory to me so I could go on praying, but he taught me a lesson. It's not, not to toy with. It's not a toy. Sort of the spirit's not a toy. You, you bring it out when you need it. And it'll be there and it'll work for you. So Job said, Job 3.25, the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. I want to ask you, what are you afraid of? Well, un until a little over a year ago, we weren't afraid of very many things, but now all of a sudden there are a lot of things we can think of. When you read, when you read that they're predicting empty grocery store shelves, not just across America but across the world, when you read about uh, the wicked spirit of Antichrist where they're literally burning uh, uh, fields where crops grow so they can create a shortage of food. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of things to be afraid of today. But you need to learn to stand for God. You need to learn to stand in faith. I don't think I've ever been afraid of dying. It's the method in which I die that bothers me the most. If you 
going to kill me with a gun, aim high. <laughs> Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You're made out of the same stuff that I am. But as saints of God entering in and wading into these, these last days, we got to conquer this fear thing. we got to get this boldness the Bible talks about. Let me tell you why. 1 John 4, 17, herein is our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we right now. We have the anointed one in us. We have the Holy Ghost in us. We have the creator in us. We have the Savior in us. We have all power in heaven and earth within us. There is no fear in love. You want to know one of the reasons why we're battling with fear? Because we're struggling with this love thing. We, we are struggling with this love thing. I'll submit if I agree with you. I want you to show me scripture, chapter, and verse for that. I'll submit as long as I agree with you. No, if you have authority over me, Brother Boyd, you call and set me down, I'm set down. I'm not going to join another organization. I'm not going to turn in my license. You set me down, I'm down until you tell me I can get back up. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And, and I believe the Spirit of God has revealed clearly within my spirit that there's torment in some of your hearts right here, people right here. You're tormented in your mind. You're scared to death, not just about tomorrow or the future of America. You're just scared. You're afraid. There's a spirit of fear on you, and it's been on you for a long time. And it's only going to get worse unless you get delivered from that thing. Second Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. If he didn't give us a spirit of fear, where in the world did it come from? Well, if it didn't come from God, you figure it out. I'm not talking about being stupid and, and not having apprehension about, about what tomorrow's going to bring. I'm not talking about being cavalier and foolish with what we may face in America before the Lord. I'm not talking about that. But we cannot walk and live in fear and become the church that God has ordained us to be. Revelation 3, 10 through 12, as our worship team joins us on the platform. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. Remember, little things get you through big things. Which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Behold that, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Oh, it's going to be a battle, church. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be a war hand-to-hand -hand combat, 
I'm not talking about physical stuff. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. Him that overcometh. What does that say? Everybody's not going to overcome, but he that overcomes. Will I make a pillar in the temple of my God? He shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Him that overcometh. We've tried, I hope, made a gallant effort at least to arm you today with the knowledge that these strange, unusual, and bizarre things that happen to you is for a reason. one of the things that we struggle with is if we could just know why the reason. What's, what is this doing for me? I have to ask God, what possible lesson did I learn when I hit my thumb two times with a hammer? What was I supposed to learn from that? But the word says all things work together. So all the times you hit it right work together with the two times you hit it wrong to produce something in you. Maybe he wanted to see if I'd cuss. And so we have to accept that there's a reason for our suffering on the premise of faith because we will probably never, at least not in this life, know the specific reasons why these things happen to us. We are given the consolation that for the child of God, at least, I wouldn't go telling your neighbor that's unsaved this because it doesn't apply to the unsaved. For the saved, all things work together for our good. We're also comforted knowing that in order for believers to fulfill the God-appointed destiny and purpose, it is God's will that they suffer. Without the trials and tribulations that we indefinitely must go through, we will never be the church that God needs us to be in this last hour. Some will faint, while others will remain strong in the faith and stalwart under great pressure. 1 Peter 5 and 10 says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory 
by Christ Jesus, I promise you we'd read this again, after that ye have suffered a while. Let me tell you something. Living a holy life is not suffering. Living a godly life is not suffering. For all of you that have a membership to Netflix, if, if, if you can't find anything to watch on Netflix that agrees with your Holy Ghost, good for you. That's not suffering because, well, we can't find nothing on Netflix or Hulu that, that's not R-rated or full of trash and garbage. That's not suffering. Living godly in this ungodly world is not suffering. After that, you have suffered a while. Make you perfect. Establish, strengthen, and settle you. Now I'm going to close with this. Honestly, as of last night, I had no intention of using this as an illustration. Um, something happened to us, to my wife and I, on April 12th of 2019 that changed our lives forever. It, uh, it absolutely changed us on the inside. Now, I know some of you think it's foolish, ridiculous. Go ahead, brother. You'll think it's just petty. But on April 12th of 2019, we lost our sweet little echo to a vicious attack by a pit bull. Two months prior to this, at district conference, we always go to, to a conference or when we go to camp meeting, we'll do the same thing. We always go uh, asking God for a word, speak to us, talk to us. And so at district conference, two months prior to this, the Lord spoke to me very openly, very firmly, and said, you were going to go home and die. I never once thought he meant that it was physical death. I understood him to mean that it would be a trial so severe that it would be equivalent to dying. What I did not know is that it would be something that my wife would endure as well as I. And so we took it very seriously, but we get home and you get busy and things to do and we hit the ground running and we frankly forgot about it. But on the morning of April 12th, I swing in the driveway at home, coming home from the gym and the garage door is wide open. The truck is gone out of the driveway and, and Sister Bruce never drives the truck ever, not that she can't or I won't let her, she just doesn't, and I knew immediately something's wrong. I go in the house, her phone is on the countertop, and I know something is wrong. So I immediately called the vet and said, is my wife, is my wife there? They said, no, no, she's not here. I called John, he had not heard from her, and within about five minutes, 
the phone rang, and it was the vet. And she said, you need to come quick. Last night, I relived this account in the office by myself. And it brought back all the pain of it. And I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it at all. I felt so strongly it's what the Holy Ghost wanted you to hear in this service concerning what we have preached to you today. I rushed to the vet. When I got there, they grabbed me at the front door and ushered me into the back to the exam room. And uh, the room was filled with blood, blood everywhere. It was not just Echo's blood, but it was my wife's blood who fought this 80-pound pit bull with everything in her to try to save our baby girl. I turned to the to the one of the girls. What about Echo? And she just shook her head, and we we just broke down and sobbed like like little children. And they brought little Echo in, wrapped in a towel, and we held her and we wept and mourned for the longest time and. They, they were so kind to us to let us stay as long as we wanted, and they didn't even charge us anything for the visit. Dr. Emmett was so sweet. We, from there, we spent the next five or six or seven hours. It's kind of a blur, but it was the rest of the day at, in the emergency room uh, getting her wounds tended to. And uh, after that, we walked into an empty house, and the days that followed were dark and filled with despair like we have never felt before in our lives. And it didn't dawn on us right away. We didn't think of it. It, it didn't just come to our minds. But it was a while after that that I think even maybe several weeks that we remembered what God had said to us. That we were going to go home and we were going to die. And die we did. It is difficult for me to even see pictures of our little girl. It brings back the pain once again. We stood outside of a restaurant a number of years ago. I had our little Echo with us. My wife went in to use the restroom. It was at Coconut Point and met an English couple, and they were, you know, saying how cute Echo was, and, and uh, she began to tell me about them. They lost their dog two years ago, and this old man stood there and cried like a babe. It had been two years, and he stood there and cried like a baby as his wife told me about them losing their precious little friend. But it concerns me because in the golden phase of our lives and of our ministry, I cannot tell you what possible purpose that this could have served. That morning, she was on my lap in the prayer room wrapped in a towel. She loved to be with me in prayer. I, I cannot begin to tell you we're not, we're not we're not really in charge of anything. We're not really that important to the kingdom of God anymore. We're, we're really not in the front line of ministry anymore. I can't imagine what 
possible purpose this could have served in God's sovereign plan for our lives. But this is what we must accept. God knows. God knows. And you try to figure it out and piece it together. And you try to find the reason for it. And it will do nothing but torment you in your mind. I don't know what you've been through. You can stand with me. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what kind of hell you face. I don't know what kind of loss that you've suffered. I don't know what kind of pain that you have felt or perhaps you are in right now. I don't know what kind of disappointment has followed you everywhere you go, stalks you and haunts you and hounds you. I, I don't know what kind of pressure you're under right now. I'm sure with everything going on, just that alone will exert a, a certain amount of pressure on the lives of God's people. But some of you are in pain right here. You're hurting right here. Something's happened that's hurt you on the inside. You're hurting on the inside. You know, physical pain, they have a lot of stuff you can take for that. Just don't take very much of it. But there are things you can take for emotional pain. What do you do about that? We need God's help. I'm going to say to you, and I believe what I'm saying, that we may stroll into this place on days like this and accept an ordinary service, but there will be a time when ordinary will not do it. There'll be a time when we will need much more than ordinary Pentecostal protocol for what we're going through. Oh, I didn't plan on going here. We talked about the angel of the church a couple weeks ago. The Lord showed me something within the last few days. He showed me that when Isaiah, this is following the death of Uzziah, which is a horrible story. You read it. The year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high. I lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And the seraphims were there with their six wings, and they were they were crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And, and, and when God said, I need somebody to go, who, who will go? And Isaiah said, I will go, send me. But I'm a man of unclean lips, and I, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And, and so the story in the book of Isaiah, an angel flies. And he goes to the altar. The altar's so hot, even the angel can't touch it. He has to use a, a pair of tongs, and he carefully takes a, a 
I call up the altar and brings it over to Isaiah and lays it upon his lips. And here's what the Lord showed me. Ministers, hear me right now. Hear me right now. You're going to see the day when it's going to be your responsibility. Oh, come on. Forget the little Bible study. You need to get in prayer somewhere. And you need to get a call from off of the altar because God's people are going to need something red hot from God in this place today. It's going to be your job to dig it up, to find out where it's at, to find that altar, to find that fire, to find that coal and bring it into the house of God. They may walk in weary. They may walk in tired. They may walk in beat down. But bless God, you come in with a coal. I found this early this morning. I found this late at night. I found this, and I brought it into the house of God. The burden must not rest on our intercessors all the time and our prayer warriors. Ministers of God. find a place to pray right now. I wish we'd find some place to pray right now. I wish we'd find somewhere we could get down before God in this place. We need more than a trickle. We need more than goosebumps. We need an intervention. We need a divine intervention. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. I know you've been through hell. But you're still standing. You're still living for God when hell sent its best. When hell sent its professionals against you, highly trained and skilled devils, they were not enough because of God's grace. My God, we need a move of God. We need a divine intervention. We're way past protocol now. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Lord, we Lord, we're not on our last leg. We're, we're not 
to drop out of the race. But we need you, God. We need you, God. We need God today. My God, remove the veneer, the hard surface that we present to everybody else like everything is all right when it's not. We don't want to walk around complaining about everything, but God, we need help. We need deliverance. We need a renewing. We need a reviving. We need an awakening. We need more than just a good service, Jesus. We need transformation. Oh, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Where is that altar? With the red hot coals of revival. Where's that altar with the red hot coals of apostolic demonstration? My God, my God. You need to pray and say, God, take me past the point that I always stop. Take me beyond that place in the spirit where I always stop and say, I've had enough. Take me past that point where I always say, this has been good. I'm ready now to, to get up and go home. Take me past that point, God, because I need more than that. It's going to take more than that, Jesus. Hallelujah. My God, my God, my God. My God, hallelujah. Come on, saints, we're the church that's going to hold back the power of the Antichrist. We're the church that's going to hold back the powers of hell so that God can give us an end-time revival. We're the church that's going to rise up and tell hell, you can't have our city, you can't have our family, you can't have our schools, you can't have our children. Come on, nobody else is going to do that. we got to do it ourselves. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, hallelujah, Jesus. My God,
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know why the devil knows he's not going to win? You want to know why he knows he's not going to defeat the church? Because one man stood against him all alone without any of the things that God has invested in his church. One man by the name of Job. And the devil knows I could not defeat him. And because of his faith, because of his strength, because of his love for God, the devil knows he will never defeat the church of the living God. Praise God. Your victory, what you overcome, you have no idea who you are helping to win their battle and to overcome their giant and to win their victory. You and I, we all know, all the men in this church know, we are not David. We are not David, but we serve the same God that he served. Praise God. You know, ladies, you're not Dorcas. You're not Esther. You're not Ruth. But you serve the same God that they served. My God, help us. My God, it's not for nothing. It's not for naught. The pain was not wasted. The, the weary nights and days were not wasted. It was not a waste of time. It was not a waste of energy. It was not a waste of anything. God will have his way. My God. My God. My God. My God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
I'm going to dismiss you. Those that want to pray, continue to pray as long as they want. But please hear me when I tell you this is not a good time to quit. It's no time to quit, no time to turn in the towel, no time to capitulate, to vacillate. If there's ever been a time to consecrate and commit yourself to God, it's right now. Praise God. God bless you. In Jesus' name, don't forget, Sister Bruce needs to meet with the, all those involved in the cleaning department.